got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. This year we're talking about good news in four letters. We've already covered the, the book of Galatians. We just finished Ephesians chapter 1, and now we're entering into Ephesians chapter 2, where we're talking about good news, the gospel. Everyone has a gospel. The gospel you believe determines the life that you live. Whatever you think is right and best and good, that's going to determine your thoughts and your affections and ultimately your actions. Now, the Bible is clear about what the true gospel is. The gospel is the power of God to save us from the punishment and power of sin so that we have peace with God, peace within, and peace with others. Now, we're able to read that. Anyone can read that. Today, if you're not a Christian, you can certainly read that in the Bible, but, but you cannot experience that truth. That, that truth has, has no power for you because what, what happens to those of us who believe, there is a revelation that comes. And that's what we're studying here in, in the book of Ephesians. We're, we're looking at the good news revealed. The, the good news of God allows believers... Believers alone to know the plans and desires that God has revealed for his people. Again, anyone can read, but only those who've been born again by the spirit of God, trusting in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, can discern and to be able to know the plans and the ways of God. And what we're going to study today is very important. It's an important part of life. Today we'll see God's resurrection power revealed. And it's important that we understand this revelation because Sadly, death is a part of our reality. It's a normal part of our congregation. Uh, some would say it's an occupational hazard. I say it's an occupational blessing. That, that There's probably not a single day that, that passes that I'm not in some way giving direct care to a member of our congregation who is either uh, fighting off death and asking for prayer, um, preparing for death because they, they know their time has come, or grieving uh, because of the death of someone they love. It's so important that each one of us know what we believe about death and, and about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As it pertains to death, our, our culture is, is filling, it's filling the airways with, with a couple of lies. And these I would discourage you uh, to, to at least from believing, but at least understand. The, the first is the, is the view of, of, of the secularists. And what they say basically Accept it as natural and final. Just accept it. Pastor Tim Keller, who, who died this last Friday, in response to that said, said you know, when some people say, well, when you die, it's just over. There, there's nothing to be afraid of. What you're saying is that death means the end of love. And you're, you're telling me not to dread that? Give me a break. If I know there's love on the other side of death, I can face it. If I know there's infinitely greater love, then I can really face it. And I would say maybe even look forward to it. And I believe he's, he's now living in this eternal love of God that is in Christ Jesus. He has now died and it's not the end. He's now experiencing life to the fullest because for those of us who believe, death is the labor pains into the life, the life that we have eternal in Christ and in, in in his wonderful presence. Now there's others, a second view that, that we should also recognize as deceptive and wrong is that of, of what I would call the, the, the Eastern religions or spiritualist. And what they basically say is death is, is a pathway in, into something more tranquil and better. It's a, it's a way of learning and growing, developing in, in your pathway in life. It's not built on anything factual. It's built on desires and fantasy and feelings. And it, and it does not provide healing and hope to your heart. It doesn't have the power. There's, there's only one way 
that any of us can face death with great confidence and even joy. And that is by trusting the one who defeated death and follow him, Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus has defeated death. And that's what Christianity is based on. That's what we believe as a family of faith here at Living Hope. This is our stated belief. This is in our articles of faith. It says, he, Jesus, was buried and then physically resurrected from the grave. He ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father, where he remains as an intercessor for his people until the day in which he will return in power and glory to judge the living and the dead. And friends, I want to tell you, it, it is logical to believe this, which means it's illogical to deny, to denounce the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's logical to believe the resurrection. Let me give you three reasons. The first is this. The first is the eyewitnesses. When Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, he appeared to, to a large number of people. And, and if it were not true, they would have easily been able to deny it. But they didn't. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 3. The apostle Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. That, very, that phrase there is very important. Most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Why did he say that, most of the, whom are still alive? Because if they wanted to get to the factual matter, they could have gone to one of those who claimed that he was raised, that they saw him, and say, did you really see him raised? Is it true? There are, there are eyewitness accounts. And I, I appreciate Chuck Colson's take on this. Some of you uh, maybe don't know that name from history. Chuck Colson was Richard Nixon's attorney uh, that, that, that led him through those lies at, water, at Watergate. And so after coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ, here's something he wrote. He said, I know the resurrection is a fact and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed the truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep it alive. They couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. It just makes sense. The eyewitness accounts stand. They saw Christ raised. A second reason is that the authorities and the lie that they told was never substantiated. The authorities in the day of Jesus told the soldiers, paid them off to tell a lie. This is uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 12. It says, when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. They bribed them. And said, tell people, his disciples came by night and stole them away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy and keep you out of trouble. In other words, we'll bribe him too. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. All the authorities had to do was present the body of Jesus. All they had to do was say, we knew he was stolen. See, here he is. They couldn't do it. You want to know why? Because he's been raised from the dead. 
Jesus Christ has been raised. The eyewitness accounts makes it logical to believe it. The, the fact that no body could be produced by these authorities who had the power to find such body proves that he's risen. Third, there have been billions and billions of changed lives that share the same transformation story. Everyone who has ever been saved has the same transformation story. There's three parts to the story. There was a time when they were without Jesus. There's a time when they came to saving faith in Jesus. And there is now life with Jesus. Everyone who has been transformed by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ will say, yes, there was life before Jesus. This is how I came to saving faith in Jesus. And now I have life in the living Christ. How many of you can give testimony to that this morning? Praise God. Amen. Yes. I can as well. This is the power of God. Because Jesus has been raised, there needs to be a response. What we're going to present this morning demands a response. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is logical. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a fact. It's proven. It's true. And in light of this revelation, there's something that, that, that we need to embrace. And this is what our text helps us to do. And so if you got your Bible, and, I, and by now, hopefully you have found Ephesians chapter 2. Let's all stand together in honor of this word as Harper comes to read for us verses 1 through 7. Again, we're in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Let's stand together in honor of God's word. And Harper's going to read verses 1 through 7. Go ahead. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but being got rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and the kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Good job, Harper. If you would go ahead and be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. She's done so well today. She's heard that three times so well, so well. Um, you know, I, you, many of you know something of my story. You know that I, I wasn't looking to be saved. I wasn't going to church to meet Jesus. I was going to church to get a date. I wasn't interested in my life being changed. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't looking for, for, for any kind of way out. But something happened. I, I heard the gospel preached and the spirit of God moved my heart and I was radically transformed. Believe it or not, after all these years, there are still some people who knew me before Christ who cannot believe that I'm actually saved, much less a pastor. This is the power of God. And some of you sit in the same seat. You, you know there are people who say, my goodness, there must be a God given what has happened to this person's life, given what has happened in this marriage or, or, or this family. And it's because the gospel is true. It's because Jesus really is God, that he, he really did live a holy life. He really did die an atoning death. He really was raised on the third day. 
And because of that, there is, there is this glorious blessing. There's a transformation of life that, that happens. And so what our text today does is it reveals the change that comes about by the, the, the revelation of God's resurrection power. So I want to encourage you to write down and remember three things. And the first one is this. God's resurrection power is revealed into our soul's awful death. And it is an awful death. Sadly, we are all born dead to God. That was not according to God's design. God's design, when he created all things and he said they were good, we had harmony with God. We had life, eternal, lasting life with God. But no more. Why? Because we, as a race of people, rejected the authority of God. Uh, God told Adam plainly what would happen if, if, if they disobeyed. This is Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And they did. But they did not fall down dead physically. But immediately, they died spiritually. Immediately, their relationship with God was broken. Uh, immediately they, they no longer had the capacity or the freedom or the permission to be in the, in the presence of God. They were, they were in essence blocked from this, this glorious blessing in their death. And now every human being that is born has a soul that is dead. We're physically alive, but we're spiritually dead because of sin. And we all sin. It says so in the Bible, Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Any of you who have children, you can give testimony to the fact of that statement. You know you never taught your child to lie. And yet they do so well, don't they? You never taught your child to throw a fit in Walmart. And yet they seem aboundingly gifted at doing such things. Why? Because you train them? No. Because their natural, our natural inclination as human beings, because of sin, is to turn away from God. And that is what we do. And in that state, we experience an awful death. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. We are dead to God. And because God is holy, he will not tolerate in his being or in his heaven anything sinful. And God as holy and good and gracious would, would have been fully, completely justified in abandoning us in our sin and our death. But he loved us too much. He, he wanted us to have the benefit. But before we can have that benefit, there's, there has to be something that happens, happens to us, something that, that we experience. And there's two very important parts to this. One of them is the movement of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God must take our dead souls, must enter our awful death, and bring life. This is known as regeneration. I, I, I appreciate J.I. Packer's definition. I put it on the screen. When a person is enabled to receive and respond to God's saving revelation in Christ, that's regeneration. You remember, this is what Jesus said to uh, Nicodemus in John chapter three. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, that is physically, and the spirit, spiritually, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. 
We are born. It's a middle passive verb. It's something that happens to us. We don't choose to be born physically. We don't choose to be born spiritually. It's something that happens. And, and there's two things that happen. There's something that, that, that happens by the Spirit and it's something that God commands us to make happen. So the, the first thing is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God must be uh, alive and working in us, but we also must hear the proclamation of the Word. It is by the working of the Spirit and the Word that we are made alive. And, and it's, it's hard to explain what happens when that occurs. When the Spirit of God gives life and there is a, a, an, an ability to hear and respond by living faith into the Word of God, it's a it's an experience that is heavy. It's an experience that's life-changing. And those of you who've repented and believed the gospel, you know exactly what, what I'm speaking of. The word that the Bible uses that makes sense to me is conviction. There is a heavy conviction. There's a sense of something is wrong, wrong, wrong. And there must be something that must be different that has to happen. And again, that happens by, the first of all, the Spirit of God. This is John 16, beginning in verse 7. Here's what Jesus said. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, that is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, look what he will do. He will convict. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. This is what the Holy Spirit does when he brings life. He brings conviction, which is an awareness of our reality, which is death, which is sin and, and, and the fault that is ours. And so there is this deep conviction, but, but the only answerable way, the only thing that we can hope for comes from the word. And so look at, this is 1 Thessalonians 1. Notice both are present, both the work of the spirit and the word. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but it did come in word. There was a proclamation of the gospel. So the gospel came in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Conviction. There is a weightiness to it. I can take you to the moment, June, June 28, 1988, when I repent and believe. But I will tell you, during the, the weeks before that, there was a weightiness on my heart and mind. As our pastor was preaching through the book of Hebrews, the Spirit of God was giving me life. And, and I, I felt a heaviness and a hopelessness. I didn't want to, I didn't, I didn't want to be what God was calling me to be. I did not want this life. But the conviction was so heavy. I, I know many of you know of what I speak. Now, there's a, there was a, a great philosopher's name was uh, uh, Pascal. Uh, you should have studied uh, him in school. He was a mathematician and scientist, inventor and philosopher. From the age of 16, he was making historic contributions. And at the age of 30, he experienced something unexpected in a November night. And, and, and he described it in one word, fire. It was, it was something so powerful that he wrote about it in his journal and then he had it sewn into the coat that he wore regularly. Here's a portion of what he wrote on that November night. From about half past 10 at night until about half past midnight, fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and of the learned. Certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace, God of Jesus Christ, forgetfulness of the world and of everything except God. 
He, he is only found uh, by ways taught in the gospel. Grandeur of the human soul. Righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. Joy, 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 tears of joy. That is salvation. That is conviction. That is fire. That is what the word and the spirit produce in those who were saved. And that's what happened to Pascal. And that transformation of his life, it brought not, not only ridicule, it did bring ridicule, but, but it, 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 also, it also brought praise and applause the ridicule came from people like Bertrand Russell, came from Frederick Nietzsche. Uh, Bertrand Russell called his decision philosophical suicide. Uh, Frederick Nietzsche called Pascal the most instructive victim of Christianity. By contrast, Pascal's sister regarded it, I love this, as a triumph of faith over the illusions of this world. This is what the Spirit of God and the Word do. They bring conviction as God enters our awful death and provides life. He, he does this not because we deserve it. He does it for one reason. Love. Love. That's the second thing to write down and remember. God's resurrection power is revealed out of his great heart of love. If you look in verse 4, the first two words, you need to have them underlined in your Bible. But God. The, the horrific description of our awful death is, is found in, in verses one through three. But then verse four, the turn, the hinge, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Friends, none of us have a clue as to how much God loves us. We think we know. We don't know. We don't have the capacity to know. God is so beyond us in capacity and might and, and understanding that we can't fathom it. Yet, God has shown us. God has showed his love for us. You say, how? Well, John three sixteen. you know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God has shown us his love by giving us himself. By, by, by allowing us to trust in him. And, and what we have in this love is a power and a plan. This is the, this is the, this is the, this is the, the delight of the Christian life. That when we're going through hard, difficult times, here's what we know. God loves us. And he has the skill and he has the power to get us through. He has the skill and the power and the love to get us through death. But he also has that for life. We were uh, with our in-laws, my in-laws, uh, recently for dinner, and they were complaining uh, uh, about, my, about my, um, my, my leadership, if you will, as a, as a young father. Because what I used to do when the children were small, when they were around two or three, is I would take them and I would pick them up and I'd throw them way up in the air. And I would catch them every single time because I have skill, all right? I had power and skill and love. And I would throw them up in the air and, and my in-laws would just go, oh, Pettis, would you please not do that? And I'd catch my children and I'd put them down and you know what my children would say? Daddy, do again. And so I would. And I would just throw them and catch them. But you know what? They believed I had the power and the skill and the love to care for them as, as everyone else was going, oh, you know what we have as Christians? We have a father who 
who has the power and the love and the skill. And when we're up and we're in the midst of something looks terrifying and the rest of the world is going, <gasps> we can delight in our God. We can trust in his plan. We can know that he has the skill and the power and the love to see us through. He has proven it over and over. John Flavel in his work, Triumphing Over Sinful Fear, writes, if we were to understand how dear we are to God, our relation to him, our value in his eyes, and how he protects us by his faithful promises and gracious presence, we would not tremble at every appearance of danger. We would not be afraid. We would not be overwhelmed. We would sleep soundly every night and we would wake daily expecting an adventure that our God being with us would provide because of his love, his mercy that comes about by his love that produces this third thing that I would encourage you to write down and remember is life. God's resurrection power is revealed for our soul's victorious life. And that's what he brings. This is what this resurrection power provides. It's this victorious life described in, in verses five through seven. We need to understand this, this skill and this, this love and this power. It has a purpose. I would tell you it's a perfect purpose. And here's how I describe it to myself. I share it with you. God's purpose is to bring glory to himself and blessing to us by making us like Jesus. That's how I answer every challenge every pain, every temptation to be anxious is I'm able to say, my God has a purpose. What I have gone through, there's a purpose. What I'm going to go through, there's a purpose. I can trust his love, his power, and his skill. And all of it is going to conform me into the image of Jesus. See, it is to defeat selfish idolatry, to destroy sinful strongholds, and to delight in God. So that this power of God, this resurrection power that gives us life, that saves us and raises us up, allows us, what it says in verse 7, so that we can experience the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So that we can delight in him. So that we can experience the victory of the life he's already given. So that when we get to heaven, not if, when we get to heaven, we will sing songs and we will say things and we will delight in truth that we're already singing and delighting in now. Do you know what they're doing in heaven right now? We know because of the revelation. This is Revelation 7 beginning in verse 10. It says that there's a multitude crying out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. Notice this is past tense. This is something John saw. This was already happening in heaven saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is the delight of all who believe. This is the victorious life that we can have now. Listen, I gladly, I gladly kneel before Almighty God and give Him praise right now. Do you? It says in Philippians 2 that at some point, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. When I stand before my King, I will have no problem 
not just getting on my knees, but getting on my face and screaming out, he is God. He is awesome. He is to be glorified. He is to bring praise. He is my, there will be no angel having to force me down on my face. I'll already be there. And I'll know also that I belong there. Not because I'm a good person, but because I'm a saved person. Because the name, Michael Jason Pettis, born November 16th, 1972, day of death in the hands of God, is written in heaven now. My name is written in heaven now. What about you? This is Revelation chapter 20. It says, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the, the dead were judged by what was written in the books. Here's what you have to understand. Everyone's going to die. And every thought, feeling, and action will be judged. They're all written down. Every millisecond accounted for. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Friends, is your name written in, in the book of life? Are you saved? Every time I do a funeral, I, I always try to communicate two simple things. The first is I always try to comfort the family with the fact that that body is not that person, that, that it's a shell. And if I die tomorrow and y'all have my funeral this week, I expect every one of you to say this. Every one of you. I say it at y'all's funerals. I bet you better say it at mine. When they point at my, that, my body, I want every one of you to say, that's the shell. And I want you to point at heaven. I want you to say, the nut is in heaven. And I will be, I will be in heaven, not because I deserve it, but because of the grace of God in Christ Jesus, my King. My name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The second thing I always want to remind people is death is not normal. We were not created to die. We were created to live. The reason we die is because of sin. We were not created to sin. We were created to love. To love God and to love God is to obey God and to obey God is to love one another. That's what we were made to do. But in this fallen world, we don't. That's why Jesus came and he has lived the holy life. He has died the atoning death. He has defeated. He has defeated our greatest enemy and greatest fear. Friends, do you believe him? Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Have you been saved? If not, we're going to have folks here at the front that want to talk to you, want to help you out in the hallway, go to Guest Connect. They will talk to you. I know some of you came today. It's like, I was not looking for all this. I get it. I, can, I, I wasn't either the day I was saved. But to those of you who claim to be saved, let me ask you something. Do you live like it? I mean, do you live like 
God has the power and the love and the skill to see you through life and death? Do, do you live a life of love for him? Do you live like you're saved? If not, why not? Maybe today you need to come and get on your face before God and say, I believe, help my unbelief. I'm dishonoring you and I'm crippling myself and this must stop. Ask the Lord to help you. He will. You know why? Because of his mercy. His mercy that's made possible by his love. Let's stand together as we pray. Care leaders, if you would, please come forward. Let's pray. Oh God, we are so grateful for your mercy and we're thankful for you, Lord Jesus, and the victory. And we ask, oh God, that you would bring about transformation even now. I, I know that there are some here today, they, they didn't come anticipating this, but God, I, I pray that Holy Spirit, there's fire, conviction, hope. Lord, I pray for the redeemed that are amongst us, that, that are struggling, that today they would get on their knees and they would fear no more and they would be angry no more and they'd be bitter no more. But instead they would say, I trust you, that you will catch me because you love me and because you have the power and you have the skill and you'll guide me. Lord, you know the need of every person here and you have the power to provide because of your love, because of your mercy. So we praise you now for your mercy. Hear those who come and pray in Jesus' name, amen.